We all have big dreams, but far too often we never give them a chance to come true. Well, that all changes today. Welcome to Just Keep Learning, where we'll help you develop the right mindset, be more productive, and learn more effectively so you can accomplish anything. Here's your host, Justin at Just Tries. Our guest today is an incredibly humble stage, film, video game, and television actress. We talked about succeeding as a creative, her journey to becoming a successful actor, her passion for being early to Web3, and what it's like to become a character in a video game. Please welcome to Interview 35, Kara Ricketts. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I, I really appreciate it. I saw your New Year's Eve post on TikTok, I think it was, but then you reshared to Insta. And within that, there were so many things that you had done and or are about to get up to doing. So I would love to ask you to introduce yourself, kind of who you are, what you do, and maybe how you juggle all those things. Um, I'm not quite sure how I juggle it all, <laughs> but I am an actress and this year I've also become a producer and I'm also into NFTs and so I'm the director of collabs and partnerships for the Fame Lady Squad and I'm shooting secret projects and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, like jack of all trades, master of none, actress who does a lot of stuff. I think that's the best way I would explain it. Tech savvy actress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty special. And the jack of all trades thing is interesting because let me see if I can get the rest of the quote. Master of none is better than only being a master of one is how the rest of that quote goes. I don't know if you know that. Is it? Yeah. I didn't know that, all but right. I like that. I'm going to pull up the full one because it gets cut off a lot of times in social media and these posts, you know, how people are misquoted, but that's exactly yeah. it, right? I think it's oftentimes better than only a master of one or something like that. I so, love that. Yeah, I, for people like yourself and I, multi passionate people, it's important to have a quote to lean on, I think, because there's a lot of talk about focus and all that kind of thing, you know? Right. I'm, I'm also really happy that that quote ends positively because ending it at master of none is not usually the best, <laughs> but I like it. Yeah, because you're definitely a master of a few things, and I'm sure we'll get into those different topics. Um, I do have one like really quick random question. In terms of pronouncing your name, is it Kara or Kara? It's Kara. And I've heard it pronounced multiple ways. The reason I asked was a student of mine who unfortunately we've lost in recent years, name was Kara, but spelt the exact same way. So in doing research and just seeing your name, it really was kind of a help, heartfelt moment for me, at least in some way, a bit of a, a tribute, but I'll make sure that I call you Kara. Thank you. Of course. I was actually named after like Irene Cara from Fame. And I think she's called Irene Cara, but my mom's Jamaican. So when she was angry, it was like, Cara. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where that pronunciation comes from. That's neat. And now did your mom being uh, Jamaican, uh, did your parents emigrate to North America? How did that kind of play out in terms of how you ended up coming to North America? They immigrated to Toronto. And I was born in Toronto. Which is exciting because that's another thing that when we connect on the internet, you know, especially Twitter, I think you and I were the, that was the first place we ever chatted. I, I didn't know you were Canadian <laughs> and so am I. No way. And sometimes people also don't know that exactly. That makes so much sense though. That makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They were both such kind people. Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah. Where in Canada are you from? So Ottawa. Canada. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 50% of my family is from Detroit, Michigan. So I do have that Canadian uh, American thing as well. And because you have a lot of profiles and bios online, you know, there's a lot of those quick sentences, you know, Kara is from, you know, America slash Canada actor, you know, and these kinds of things. And it's like, okay, well, what does this actually mean when we get into it a bit? So that's neat. So you're from Toronto. Did you ever live in Ottawa? No, I never lived in Ottawa. Yeah, see, this is amazing because at least one of the websites said Ottawa. And that was the first time that stood out to me. I was like, ah, oh, Canadian. Amazing. But now we've got this whole Leafs sense thing going on. And... <laughs> I don't even follow the Leafs. I'm like from inner city Toronto. I'm from like Jane and Finch, like the kind of areas that Drake talks about, although he talks more about like Scarborough and all that stuff. But yeah, the zoo. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Ours was the farm. It's not that great a name, but like it was just a whole other thing. And so, I mean, some people were into hockey and we went to like, we had class trips to the rink, but it wasn't really like my family follows basketball more than hockey. I did work at Rogers for a hot minute as like, I wrote the bugs. So like when a hockey player showed up, I would write in his name and the score and stuff. But the only thing I know about the Leafs is that they keep losing. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Fair point. Growing up, Jane and Finch, that's that's interesting. Uh, I played football all through the 401 growing up in high school, college, university, and then in university, you know, it's certainly like this sort of situation where people just come from all over and all of a sudden are like family and, you know, crying and, and bleeding and sweating together for sure. And uh, there were a few people from that area and Scarborough and played with lots of lots of athletes from that area. Actually, my uh, current boss is from Jane and Finch as well. And she was just telling me, yesterday that she has a kindergarten picture and she's always wanted to write a book where she goes and interviews everybody from her kindergarten photo if she could track them down and like see where are you now you know which in her case is like not to date her but it's a fairly long time ago and uh, I told her I was like just do that you know right she's trying to think of something that would be cool to do as like a side hustle type thing and I'm like that would be amazing what school did she go to no clue <laughs> I can ask her <laughs> yeah let me know <laughs> She is a bit older than you, oh, but maybe like a little bit older than you. Yeah. Really nice person. And, and that I just thought would be a really cool project, kind of that arc of where we all headed, no matter where we're from, is kind of an interesting, neat thing. And so I guess that's a great time to ask, what was the journey that took you from, you know, little girl growing up in Jane and Finch to where you are now with being that actor and producer and getting into Web3 stuff? That was an interesting journey because my mom made sure that we didn't stay in the inner city. It, it sounds weird, but it also makes a lot of sense. Like getting to school was a thing. It, like you had to, we walked as a group and even walking as a group, there was so many opportunities to get into trouble. And I have friends that I had met or reconnected with who did get into trouble and led a different life. And there are just times where it was like, I missed out on that because my mom was so determined to make sure that I didn't have, I, I didn't have even the opportunity to, to fall into situations like that. You know, I led a really sheltered life. Like I didn't get to go to a lot of parties or if we did, mom was like, she wanted to know where we were every second. And she had everybody in cahoots too. Like if we went to the mall, she's like, I know you went to the mall. We we're like, how do you know? <laughs> But it was like the whole community was in on it. She'd make friends with a lot of people. And so out of that, she also really pushed like my dad was around too, sort of. Uh, but she really when he was around, she pushed to make sure that we moved out to Brampton. And Brampton is like 
a really boring small town. Like, just, <laughs> especially at that time, it was just really boring and small. Tory Lanes is from there now, and Nev Campbell, and you know, it's kind of had a name. It doesn't have the greatest name, but it has a name. And so we moved to Brampton, and in Brampton, I ended up going to high school, and there was a teacher there who wanted to start a theater, a, a theater class. I took class. I took his regular theater class, but he wanted to start like an extracurricular theater program. And I think he saw something in me and just really took me under his wing. Like people used to be like, yo, Mr. Simon's your daddy. And I'm just like, yeah, I guess so. But he kind of in a weird way took over from where my mom left off. So mom made sure that we were in Brampton. And then I had this random teacher who just saw something like we would do monologues and stuff. And he was super supportive and gave me big parts, but he always made sure that I was around him. There was always something to do for Mr. Simon. And then from there, I ended up going into like a community theater production. And that led to me deciding to go to Humber College, which asked for like a 50% grade. So I didn't need great grades. I was totally ready to just be an artist. From there, I ended up getting picked up by this theater company for my first professional show. And it just kind of snowballed. Like I just kept getting work and connecting with the right people who helped guide me and help me move further. And then finally, I was working at the Stratford Festival, which is a classical theater company. And I was there for four years. And after that, I wanted to leave and do film and television. But in the middle of that, I started working on video games, specifically the Far Cry series for Ubisoft. It was early days for the video games, so I just got nosy. I was like, what are you guys doing over there? What does this button do? What is that? Da, 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 da. And I ended up learning the tech. I ended up learning about the engines that run the video games and all of that stuff. And that led to my interest in spatial computing. And I still had a love for theater. I did film. I like film. I do like doing TV stuff, but it's a different world. I think spatial computing, which is XR and VR, fits perfectly in theater. And so I was just collecting all of this information and I wasn't sure when I was going to use it. I just assumed like when I was done with acting or ready to retire, I would use that towards theater. But then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, I'm like, now's the time to apply that because that's all of the theater stuff that doesn't require you to be in the theater. But the theaters didn't really have money and they were scared about where they were going to get the money from. So that didn't take off. I had met, he's going to hate that I tell this story. So I was in a really big relationship when I first moved to New York and the guy I was dating was a music producer and he told me I couldn't sing. Meanwhile, I did a musical, okay? Somebody asked me to do a musical, all right? And I was nominated for an award on the musical, but this guy thought I couldn't sing. And so as the relationship was falling apart and we were renting an apartment together, I got on Craigslist and there was this guy who's like, I have a guitar and I'm looking for a singer. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to go to this man's house and I'm going to sing my face off. <laughs> and so... it's <laughs> uh, too good. And it's New York, right? So like, I was just prepping myself for, first of all, the kind of house that I might be going to. And I did throw like a knife in my bag. I probably should have, but I had my keys like at the ready. <laughs> keys between your fingers? Exactly. <laughs> but I got to his apartment and of course it's a gorgeous apartment and He's a realtor and he also deals in metaverse. So I was shooting a show on Fox and we had already rehearsed a couple of times and then COVID happened and I didn't really hang out with him because I wasn't hanging out with anybody during that time. And he's like, let's get together to rehearse. And I'm like, well, I'm in Atlanta right now. I, I don't know how long I'm going to be out there, which was a whole other interesting thing too. And he's like, plus I need to learn how to sing. <laughs> 
mix. I can carry a tune, okay? Maybe not well, but I can carry it. But so he's like, why don't we just do it in Decentraland? And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And so he had told me about metaverses. And then from there, I bought my first sandbox parcel. And I was also freaking out because I'm like, I spent all of 2020, like I had learned a little bit of coding with GitHub and YouTube and like put together a prototype for these theater companies. And they still were like, no, we're not interested. We're not interested. And my bandmate's the one who's like, come meet me in the metaverse, (laughs) you know? (laughs) The one that's with Web3 already. Exactly. And so I was like, yo, let me get in on this thing instead. And that's what got me into NFTs. I bought my first parcel. And then I saw that Sandbox gave away NFTs with the parcel. And I had bought the parcel on secondary. So I bought my NFT. And then everything just kind of went from there. Yeah, there's so much, so many amazing things. Quick side story. I wanted to go to New York City so bad because I'd never been. And uh, my wife did want to go as well. And we were talking about traveling there. And uh, did COVID start in 2020? No, 2019? Yeah, yeah 2020. 2020, March. Yeah, March 2020. So 2019, August, right before our school year and my heading back to my day job, I was like, I got to go. So I was like, sorry, said bye to the family. I said, I'll be back in like 48 hours. That's what I did. I drove from yo you went by yourself you ditched your wife Yeah, this is a true story. <laughs> yeah. And as she listens to this back, if she does, it, it was very uh, much appreciated. <laughs> also, I think a, a partnership decision. I because, love it. I love it. <laughs> like the reason why I wanted to go was to create. I wanted to meet fellow creatives. I wanted to photo, video, whatever, singing. I didn't care. I wanted to go get in like that, <laughs> that, that concrete jungle space and just create for a few minutes. And so that wasn't the type of trip that my family was interested in going on. No doubt. It was more right. touristy. There was no way we we're going to go for less than seven days. I was like, I'm going for seven hours if I need to. Got in the van. I mean, this part's a little bit crazy. People are like, you're just an idiot. But I drove straight to New York City through the night. So I didn't leave till 9 right. p.m. here. Drove through the night. Then when I got there, I just got on Instagram and started messaging. So I can relate with what you were saying because <laughs> the people I end up, and, and I'll have to share these videos to you when they're uh, uploaded because they're just sitting on a on a lacy hard drive right now. But I, I think they're going to be pretty good. One was he's he's a poet on the streets, hip hop artist. Like he, he does a lot of singing and um, he's into band stuff as well. These are all people that you could collaborate with. The other person, she dances. She's a singer as well. She's been in some Netflix things, maybe Maybe not as big of, as what you've been in, but she does a lot of different things to modeling. A makeup artist who is quite successful. You've probably worked with her. And then some really nice guy who goes Amazing. down to the World Trade Center and sings every day on his lunch break. And he, he's so good. He's the one that is like one of those stories where it's like you just, I just expect him to be on America's Got Talent or American Idol someday. And, you know, he's like that middle-aged dude who like just never made it in singing because he just goes down to the World Trade Center and sings at lunch. And that's the extent of it. But he's so talented. I love that though like what does he what does he do when he's not on his lunch break yeah, he works. He works like in a cubicle. What's his, I love it. I mean, honestly, it's so fascinating. With with respect to those stories, because you're there, like I've never told these stories before, but it was that connection. Yeah. Right? Like because, you know, that, that connection, <laughs> you sharing the story of being in New York City and going to someone you didn't know. So I did that four times in, 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 uh, in the first day. And then the second day, I met up with a photographer who was living there from Hawaii and sharing how hard it is to... He just took me on like a photo video walk and showed me some of the sites that he shoots typically at. Wow. He, he's a, 
really skilled photographer, but he was sharing, we're talking about creative process. And he was like, I never realized how much shadows for one exist in the world of creativity. Because in Hawaii, he's like, there's just no shadows. And he's like, and there's no street noise. Wow. He's like, so getting used to those two things were like such a huge learning curve. And I thought that was really interesting in terms of like super skilled photographer, videographer, moves to New York City, and all of a sudden he's got to relearn a lot of things. Yeah, especially in New York. New York is all noise. Like you go to bed at night. One of the big tips about living in New York is getting earplugs because you're going to hear something. Mm -hmm. Like if it's not the actual window, like the windows aren't always, I've got an AC and I can hear the street at night. And if it's not that, it's the radiator just like clanging. But you, it becomes, it sounds weird, but it becomes kind of the magic of it. Like the whole place is filled with incredibly artistic people, you know? Yeah. And just the the volume was what I really noticed because when I was heading down there, everyone was like, who who are you? Like, who do you know there? I was like, nobody. I was like, but that part's not going to be hard. And then honestly, it was even easier than I had thought. There were people that I was having to send DMs to being like, yep, sorry, I got to head home because they were like in town from one guy was in town from Mexico and he stopped me because he saw me with a road mic on my camera. I was like, are you making a documentary or something? And I was like, you could call it that, I guess. And he's like, I'd love to come shoot with you tomorrow if you want. And we'll just go create. And I was like, yeah, sounds good you know send some dms and i was like sorry i gotta go like i ran out of time you know right and i stayed for one night (laughs) (laughs) so i was there two days one night and back home and then covid hit and i was so grateful more grateful than i thought i would have been for having taken that leap of faith and and going you know yeah i have a story kind of like that by the way like new york's amazing for that i'm surprised you're not coming down for nft nyc but it's like Is it the the family thing? No, 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 no. Um, So for me, this podcast currently is side hustle. Someday will be essentially full time. Yeah. But my full time gig is in education. So September to June is pretty tough, right? Got it. And uh, it's I was just chuckling because this afternoon I had a pretty cool opportunity to be able to do a workshop with uh, Tucker Max's team, scribed authors, and like and build my first book, which is something I'm going to be doing anyways, not necessarily with them, but it seemed like it would be a decent opportunity. And it was just today that I was explaining, like, I can't do things in November, you know, so and and NFT NYC, and I was just at VCon, obviously. So you got to pick and choose. That's all. (laughs) But I do wish I was going. So that's kind of why I was smirking there. Yeah, the city's great because it becomes it becomes New York, but it becomes NFT. It it becomes NFT NYC, at least last year, like it was the beginning of I didn't have a ticket. So I didn't even go to the event. And I wasn't I was trying to work my way into Fame Lady Squad. So I was working for them. But I wasn't part of the team yet. And so I just went to all the satellite events and it was amazing. Like I could really feel it's kind of, it felt like what Twitter feels like, but if the whole city of New York was like that. So Lower East Side, there was like a board eight pop up and then Upper West Side was the way to the yacht. And then like there were just parties all over the place. I was actually on a date and like two board apes came by, came into the bar and they had the sweaters on. And I'm like, oh my God, board apes. <laughs> and they like bought us food and we sat down and we talked about NFTs. My date was like, what's going on? Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm like, don't worry about it. <laughs> it was great. It was really great. That is cool. I know we'll talk NFTs quite a bit, Metaverse, Web3, everything. We'll get into it. But you said that you had a story kind of like my traveling to New York City. Yes. I had been living in New York since 2017, maybe the end of 2017, let's say. And I'm not a big crowd person. Like, you know, I'm just like, I'm not into it. I don't like to be around a lot of people. I like affecting a lot of people, but I don't like being around a lot of people. And so 2019 came up 
No, it was literally the begin, the end of 2019, the start of 2020. Uh, I ended this big relationship. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go down to Times Square and I'm going to watch the ball drop. And so I went down there and it was amazing. Like it was just a huge party of all these people so excited to celebrate the new year. And I just remember being like in the middle of it all and people wearing hats and saying hi and just being loving to each other. And then COVID hit in March, you know, and I've just felt really lucky, kind of like you're saying, just really lucky to take that chance before everything changed. Because we do it now, but we still do it knowing that like COVID happened and COVID isn't over. 100%. It's certainly the case that taught us a lot about, you know, the whole idea that we can't take too much for granted, even just living semi-normal lives. This show is very evergreen. It's meant to be that if somebody downloads an episode in 20 years from now, it'll still be super applicable. So during lockdown, you know, we weren't talking a lot on the show about COVID really, because it was like, well, none of us knew like, okay, is this going to end next week? Is it going to end six months from now? Or like, what does this look like? So true. But I think now that we're here a little bit, I won't jinx anything and say on the way out or whatever. But I'm sure that there's been a lot of other things that you've noticed through COVID and any sort of pivots that had to happen. Like yeah. what else came from COVID? COVID was amazing. Like for me, I guess because everybody was at home reflecting about stuff, but Black Lives really mattered for those two years. And I think it ended at the end of it, you know, but for those two years, people were at home and they were outraged that George Floyd happened and they were so outraged or they were, you know, like companies just the same way that they do with pride. They put out their statements that they care about black people and other black people were like, if that were true, you wouldn't do this. So all of a sudden everybody was accountable initially for like the black lives matter or just like for black lives matter, not necessarily the movement, but actually how do we treat each other first as black people, but then it, it spread out a bit more. How do we treat each other as human beings? And so COVID was really interesting for that because people were finally considering how deep that went. And out of that, like there were more opportunities for me to speak on how I felt about those things. Like I had to talk to HR for one thing. And then they asked me to join a board of advisory at the Canadian Film Center to deal with the reckoning of that as well. But then the year after that, it opened out a bit more. It wasn't just like, how do we feel about black people? But how does this affect all of the people around us? It became a bigger thing that was fantastic. And I think that's kind of, it might be wrapping up a bit now, like now that we're back to our new normal. But I really, I liked the conversation that we were having at that time as a people. And I was excited to see where it was going to go before we get back into like a lot of the BS that we fall into so easily. Like what in terms of BS? Like... When you're at home, you don't have to buy the latest outfit. Who are you wearing it for, you know? And now that we're back out on the street, it's like people were using their stymies to buy the latest Gucci and all of that stuff. It's just like, if you've got a shirt on, you can still be who you are and you can have your own style and all of this. Not to like hate on that stuff because I do love a good outfit. I'm sure you saw me at VCon. <laughs> but there was... <laughs> There's just something really, and I'm not trying to bring it back to the NFT space, but there's something really nice about hanging out with people who just want to discuss their life, their aspirations, their ideas. And I love that about NFTs, not because like if we're not thinking about it in the capitalistic way of buy one and flip one, but it's a bunch of people who've come together going, this is the future, but what does our future look like? What could be there? And so there's the beauty of it is that there's a lot of people who are just dreaming 
And then there's other people who are trying to make that dream a reality by using certain steps. And I love that. Like sometimes I think about the last time that there was like a big, big pandemic was the Spanish flu. And then after the Spanish flu came the roaring 20s. In between was a really bad recession. But once we got out of it, like people were living like the great Gatsby, you know, like everything to the extreme. Yeah. NFTs feel a little bit like that just before it goes all the way wild. But we're in a place now where people are philosophizing about what the future could be. People have utopic ideas of how perfect, how perfect decentralization is and anybody can make it. And I love whether or not that is actually possible. I love being in a space where people want to believe that that's true and want to figure out ways to make that happen. And I think genuinely and intrinsically believe that it will happen. You know, the whole wag my thing when it comes to that we're all going to make it and these kind of sentiments. I mean, it's, it's an easy tweetable, but I also feel that people genuinely feel feel it and believe in it for sure. And uh, you said you don't mean to keep bringing it back to NFTs. I know you do a little bit even in the subconscious because it's, you know, becoming a bigger part of all of our lives and it will and we're early. So it's fun to talk about definitely will get there. I don't want to move too quickly over the um, people's rights, let's say for a second, because I think that there are so many things that I, I've noticed in, in your content, you're an ad advocate for a lot of these communities that I end up working with as, as well, whether it's trans rights, women's rights, um, certainly the indigenous here in Canada and elsewhere, but Canada being a really big mm -hmm. microscope right now. But to go back to what you brought up first when it comes to Black Lives Matter last year, a couple things for me I found interesting. One was that I was asked to teach an entire day workshop on being anti-racist. So that was something that at first didn't really sit overly well with me in terms of like, look, like, you know, um, um, this white dude sitting here in front of everybody, like being like, here, this is what, you know, we should and shouldn't do. That evening, I interviewed Parker Palmer. And then all of a sudden, I'm on camera with myself and one other older white dude. And we're talking about this conversation. But mm. I asked him, I said, you know, what do you think is your take on like kind of doing a workshop like that, right? And his life's work was essentially around helping more and more communities be anti-racist. And he worked back to the riots in LA and Detroit, like he's in his mid to late 80s, and has been doing this work for, you know, 50, 60 years. And it was really interesting in, in what he had said on that episode was the most important thing is that every one of us take every opportunity we can to have conversations about it whenever we can. And he's like, through all the conversations I've had over the last, you know, 60 years, that's the, the number one conclusion that I would share and that it's, it's so important. All this to say, the other thing in education that's so common is this idea of like Black History Month, right? And so, you know, for a month, we're going to talk about this. And I think similarly to what Parker said, the more the better. However, what that does, I, I've noticed is it often takes on this sort of like, okay, well, now the month is over sort of feel or like, well, we did our assignment or we read that book or we mm -hmm. wore t-shirts for a week or whatever. And I, I guess that extends to, you know, wearing a certain t-shirt for indigenous or cyberbullying or whatever it is. If you were to give tips to educators who are trying to do a better job teaching those subjects, what are some thoughts that come to mind? I was just thinking about this the other day because I still do classical plays. And so we were just looking at Shakespeare's Titus Andronicus. Okay. And this play was written in like 1596. And it's William Shakespeare. You say William Shakespeare, everybody knows who William Shakespeare is. In that play, 
there's a character named Aaron the Moor, and is even the the title Moor, some people might, might arguably, let me put it that way, Moor means black. You can't even debate it because Shakespeare says, has Aaron say several times in that play how black he is, okay? Now, Titus, who's the lead character, is like the leader of an army. He brings back this warrior queen who, I forget what her history is, but she's like a Germanic queen. She's as white as white can be. She ends up, even though she was a prisoner, just to show how the world's all flipped upside down, she ends up becoming the new queen of Italy, I believe, is where Titus takes place. I think. I might be wrong there. Anyway, she becomes a new royalty there. In the middle of her being the new queen, she is having sexual relations with Aaron the Moor, and they produce a mixed-race baby, and uh, she gives the baby to a nurse, and the nurse says, we got to kill it. We got to kill it because she's now the queen. We can't have, like, this baby. The line is, like, stamped with your face. So the kid's mixed race, but obviously came out black. Aaron says... One of my kinsmen has also been sleeping with another woman, but the baby's come out light enough that you can switch the baby. (laughs) We don't know what happens with the baby, but when I sit in rooms like this, in doing plays by Shakespeare that have been done for years, and a line like that doesn't even, like, people will sit and digest to be or not to be to the point where you're like, I think we know what the line is. Like, (laughs) you know, like they want to put a pause here. They want to put a pause there. But this whole idea of two mixed race babies, one that came out too dark and Shakespeare's writing this or whoever wrote it with him, one that came out too dark, one that came out light enough to pass a black man. He's written at least three black men, but the two that are like major are Othello and Aaron the Moor. Othello is like, Back in the day, we would have called him a coconut, like black on the outside, white on the inside, like so ready to assimilate. Whereas Aaron the Moor is like, (laughs) like I am what I am all the way. And we just skipped, like we danced over that line. And people have danced over that line for centuries. Like think about through all the 50s with all this race stuff that was happening in the 50s, we skipped over these lines, you know? And then like, I also, there's a lot of movies that happened around the 50s and 40s that dealt with mixed race and all of that stuff. And it's so weird to me that race relations sometimes feels like a discussion that came out yesterday or that came out of the 2020s when, you know, like Walter White, When I say Walter White, we think Breaking Bad. Walter White was one of the major leaders of the NCAA who was uh, light enough to pass for a white man. And he'd go down to the South, watch a lynching and be like, fellas, that was great. Let me write a newspaper article. Give me all your names. He would collect all the names of the white men at the lynching and come back up to the North because he was staying in Harlem and print the paper. And so, yeah, and there's just like this weird, there's this weird forced belief that integration is a new thing. And we've had, like the railway in Canada was built by Chinese, like the Chinese came and helped and did that, you know? And the First Nation that were part of the original part of Canada, some of them were shipped to Barbados. 
So it's just like, and this information isn't easily accessible. You, Harvard has the books. You have to pay over 200 bucks if you want to own a copy of it. None of it's available in our history schools. And I feel like there's a level of propaganda that runs so deep that I think also the reason why I'm doing what I do now is the internet cracked that open for me. People on the TV, film, all of that was always censored by the big white guys, you know? And so all of a sudden I'm on YouTube and there's a girl who tells me how I can do my hair. There's a guy who's telling me if you find these books in a library or a secondhand bookstore, read them. And I think that's the thing. It's not really answering your question. What it is is addressing how frustrating it is that we don't accept that we've always been integrated and that we keep pretending that it's a separate thing, that for some weird reason, you are in like the rich part of town. And if there's another white person that's in the poor part of town, something bad really happened because he doesn't belong there, you know, or like what happens when I have a friend who's, is he even mixed race, but he appears white. And so he has to deal with letting people know that he's actually a black guy. Like he even identifies that way. And then you have someone like Rachel Doazel, who's a white woman, but she, you know, she thinks she's black. And so it's very weird. And I think one of the best ways to deal with that is actually to continue that integration. Like, yes, it's good to, it's good to be with your group of people and have a conversation with your like people who have the same who check the same boxes as you because it'll be easier to say how you feel and hear it back from somebody else but it's always good to be in a room with somebody who has a completely different experience than you and hear them talk and see what's the like same experiences that you have as a human being and then also just to know what their story is yeah 100 percent yeah what is their story is as a trans person as a person of color as a white person like we got to get rid of these false boundaries because they're false. We've always been integrated in some way. Mm -hmm. Did you say you do have a friend who appears white but was of black race? And were you saying that or was that hypothetical? No, that's for real. That's for real. Okay, because that's what logic, that's, you know, kind of what a lot of his songs are about and everything. And like yes. in interviews where he's got up and walked out yeah. because his dad was black and like he's, you know, yeah. that's basically, you know, what. Yeah. Halsley, I forget what her how to say her name, but she's like that too. The she's a rock singer. Oh yeah. yeah, 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 mixed race. And then like there's this really great YouTube video where Rashida Jones is on the red carpet, and I feel like it's one of those like ET people, and they're like, "Your tan is so fantastic," and she's like, "It's not a tan. I'm just ethnic." <laughs> you know. Wow. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I know you said that you didn't answer my question, but I mean, you really did. Like, I think that there's never like an answer. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about this. For me, I, I love talking about it, but I would be inauthentic if I was like, I don't know how to broach the subject sometimes, right? Yeah. And so as somebody who wants to be a leader of all of this community building and integration, like I just try my best right. to ask as much as I can or as explicitly as I can without being like rude or whatever, you know? And mm -hmm. One of the stories for me that was really a learning moment was uh, in my master's. Um, I remember being in a pretty small class. You know, there was probably 15, 20 of us and our professor, young professor, like looking and make a name for herself for sure and being authoritarian in nature. But we uh, did the reading, uh, unpacking the in invisible knapsack and talking about like how, you know, social constructs and these things that show up in schools, but we don't necessarily know that they're there, but it's sort of the, the systemic racism piece that exists. And if we turn up blind eye, then we're not doing our due diligence. And this is the idea of being anti-racist as opposed to just not being 
racist. Mm. It's funny because a few years ago, I would phrase it this way, that I made the mistake of saying that I don't see color when I'm interacting with people. And she was pissed. <laughs> right. And then I was like in this full on <laughs> argument with this woman. You know, I'm early 20s, so I'm not really equipped to have an argument with a professor at a university in, in public. But like I kind of <laughs> stuck to my guns. And then eventually we just like we're both like agreed to disagree. And then a few years later, it was reading more about the indigenous populations in Canada, like you were touching on. And uh, the book I read was The Other Side of Eden, which is one for the history of that culture is just like, I mean, it's uh, it's it's a tough read for sure. Mm. It was about a white politician researcher here in Ottawa who was sent up north to basically do some research, right, on an indigenous culture. And he was like sent there for like a, a month or something. When he came back, he was like, I can't do this research in a month. So he's like, give me two years. So he went up for two years. And in that time, the stuff that he saw, the things that he learned, the stories that he was able to uncover after building trust was just, it's its a hard book to read for sure, like a lot of this history is. In any case, when I read that, I was like, oh yeah, I was wrong. Mm. And then as I've matured even more on this topic, I'm like, no, what I was trying to say, I think was right. And then like, maybe there's no right or wrong. I don't know. Mm. What I was trying to say was growing up with so many friends from so many different cultures, especially being a football player, I was often the only, you know, white DB on a team or on an all-star team it was the only, you know, white person on that that defense, like these kinds of things. And all I was trying to say was that I've never made personal judgments and I had to learn myself that racism exists because we're all so egocentric. And, you know, growing out of teenage years, I was like, what do you mean? Like, I, you know what I mean? Like I never had these beliefs that when my buddy Weeksy came on the train back with me to stay in my family's house in Ottawa, and then we went back to Windsor, like maybe other people were judging or, you know, the things that maybe he struggled with as a black athlete were hard and there's this whole history and all these things that I wish that I could have, you know, sat on the couch and asked roommates and stuff like that mm. back in the day. I didn't really learn until I was in my professional life when we started talking about it. I mean, I'm thinking out loud, really. No, I like that you bring that up because without disrespecting you. Feel free, though. <laughs> <laughs> but I, just, I was just going to say, it's not even racist, but the it's your privilege that allows you to not see the race because it's just people. You, you don't have to deal with any of the circumstantial BS that anybody else has to deal with in order to interact with you, you know? But I get what you're saying because like those were your friends. You, you guys met each other on something that you enjoyed. So you were connecting with them as human beings. You didn't have to consider, you didn't have to consider any of the other stuff because you were all there for the same thing. Right. But there's, I think, there's a real, I, my brain just wants to jump, but the Proud Boys are from Montreal, the same Proud Boys that Donald Trump, you know, took with him to the White House, essentially. And I think that there is a systemic issue in Canada when it comes to race, but in particular, when it comes to the treating of, I want to cry right now, there's a real, a real icky problem with Canada when it comes to the mistreatment of first first nation people and with race because depending on the kind of canadians that you talk to they think that racism doesn't exist and it's because charlie their neighbor has never dealt with it and that's because and they're they don't even know charlie well enough to say that he has or he hasn't and there's also this weird myth that we have hung on to as canadians that we're like too kind for that stuff but the same underground railroad that brought all of those black people into niagara falls is that ground is filled with unmarked graves that white people have built buildings on top of. And so 
in a weird and crazy way, there's been such an indifference. Like the, the killing of those First Nation babies were as early as in 1990s. Like that's now we're in the 20s, but that would have been less than a decade ago. And there's still tons of First Nation girls that disappear at the hands of policemen, Canadian policemen. And so there's nothing more frightening to me than meeting a Canadian who thinks that there isn't a race issue at all. At least with Americans, they know there is one. And you can at least address that and talk about it. I'd rather know that you dislike me for who I am. Whereas in Canada, you won't tell me that necessarily. And the crimes that get committed and hidden because of it are atrocious. It's a real problem. For sure. And I feel that... uh... One of the other things is, again, maybe it's because I'm half American and Canadian, but I'm often trying to tell people like there's like a sort of like a volume thing involved in the US that makes all of these stories bigger and the news stories and whatever the, the atrocities talked about a little bit more. You know, there's there's more news outlets, there's all these different things, but we are in many ways just like the little sister to America. And like, that's one of the things for sure that, that definitely pisses me off is that I'm like, we have all of the, the same, if not in many ways worse issues and Mm -hmm. Canada Day is one of the the hardest days for me when it comes to that. I meet a lot of uh, youth in addictions and males primarily in jail who again it's all this trickle down effect of uh, you know residential schools and then being on reservations and then maybe not being now but being left with very little to work with in terms of that generational poverty and generational alcoholism etc and meeting very young girls who are like yeah I don't know. I don't know anything else to do than just do drugs, you know? And I mean, we could talk about that for a three-hour episode a la Joe Rogan, but <laughs> I guess I appreciate you opening up and, and sharing about those things because, um, you know, that's I hope that this show becomes a show for everybody and that different people could be listening and feel a little bit inspired to be part of the solution instead of being part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Like being in theater school too, I ended up, um, a really good friend of mine, his name is Wawate Forrester. He's a First Nation person. And it was so, speaking of like integrating, like just being with people. I learned a lot just from being with him and creating art with him. And it wasn't, I think sometimes the other problem is, is like, for instance, like with Black History Month, we're bringing in the Black person so you can talk about Black people things. Wawate was like, just my classmate. And we had to overcome things together. We had to win together. We lost together, you know, and even just the act of creating art, which is what we both love to do. I learned a lot about him and he learned a lot about me. And so I think that's why true integration is good too. Yeah, for sure. And that's maybe the main thing to to take away from that. How can we integrate more and in reference to the youth that I, I mentioned about, you know, meeting these people who are super creative and they're really struggling with how to kind of like, you know, take those steps to succeed, to pursue their dreams. Because acting is the, I don't know, it's interesting. I don't want to be too philosophical. I don't know if it's late at night or what. But I was going to say is like the biggest thing you do, but it's like, I don't really think we rank the things we do. You know what I mean? But it's one of the main things, certainly that you have done, right? And so maybe if we do that sort of like, you're a guest speaker and you're coming in. And, you know, there are a lot of people who want to go into acting, but they just think that it's like this thing that's only for the big stars. Or I I think things are so well produced and so well shot these days that when you watch something on Netflix, it's almost like, yeah, you can't do this because this is for people who can do it. You know, maybe let's just touch on acting a little bit in general, sort of like trying to pursue that dream. I think the machine is changing and that might be my fantasy 
I do think that things are better produced, but I also think that thanks to technology, things are more available. Like you could totally shoot something on a good iPhone, you know, and at the same time, is it easy to get a good iPhone? But, you know, (laughs) but there's also like, there's also cameras now. You could go Samsung. Yeah, I think that's still a pretty (laughs) decent camera. But it's not the it's not back in the day you needed like, I think they call them a super 35 or whatever, and you'd have to buy film. And if you shot the film poorly, that was a lot of money that you lost. And now thanks to digital, you just can take a lot of chances. And like you had mentioned Netflix, but there's also Amazon Prime and some of those projects. I don't think I think you just need to like you can make it and then see if they'll take it. Because if you ever really dig deep in there, everything's in there. And if there's not Amazon Prime, you have YouTube. And if there's not YouTube, there's TikTok. So I'm getting ahead of myself. But I think I'm I hope it's gonna sound really bad. But I kind of hope that I'm that last generation that had to go through a system in order to be an actor. And I think that this new system where you gotta, you gotta figure out, cause I do realize an influencer is not an actor. An influencer does a very different thing. They fashion their entire life around selling products. But if you are someone who can find text and create work and figure out how, if you do it by yourself or do it with a friend and create like a mini series on TikTok. I hope to God that an agent or a show finds you and utilizes your talent, you know? And so that's my, like, that's the future thing. That's the thing that I hope for. The journey that I took, I went to school, graduated school. And from there, uh, I had already met a few directors. I didn't network at all. I wasn't very good at networking. I was very terrified. And I was hoping that someone would hire me. And even my agent, like, it took me a long time to realize that being an actor was running my own business. And that's because it wasn't until influencers that came around that said they're running their own business that I was like, I'm kind of doing what they're doing, but with my art. (laughs) I've been running a business this whole time, but everybody just made me feel like I was begging for their attention and for their space and for the allowance to present my work. And also being an actor is a very different thing because as a visual artist, your tools are a paintbrush, some paint, you know, or whatever medium you work with. But by the end of it, you can produce a piece that's complete and you can sell it. An actor, you're not a writer, you're not a director. If you're just specifically an actor, you kind of are, this is going to be a terrible soundbite, but you kind of are a tool, (laughs) right? Like the writer puts something together, the director tells you how to best present it, but you can't produce unless you have a community to do that. And at least the way, back in the day, everybody kind of made you feel like you were easily replaceable. Like if you were super annoying, they could get rid of you. And it was very hard to feel like you had something to offer on your own. Yeah, I think what I'm trying to say is I hope that in the future people do want to pursue it and do want to do it the way that it's been done, like get an agent and do all of that stuff. But in the meantime, if you're not part of a union, create your own stuff and produce it and put it anywhere you want. People will want to watch it if it's good or if it like hits the right vein. And so create your own stuff, see if there's an audience for it. And if there isn't, you're at least practicing until you can get into that right room to be part of the right project.
I, I love that idea, the idea that there may be gatekeepers and there may be gatekeepers for a very long time, maybe even more generations, but that won't be the only, like they can't guard all the gates, so to speak. And I think mm -hmm. that's exciting for, for all avenues, passions and interests. When it comes to acting like a few kind of rapid fire things specifically that even I know you referenced earlier, the idea of theater versus making movies, I guess for the people like the idiot's guide to acting, you know, if there was a page that compared and contrasted those, what, what do you feel? are the pros and cons theater what i love about theater is the audience because with the theater i have never in my life experienced a room of like 500 people gasping at the same like straight up going <gasps> like that is amazing and also the you can actually feel energy the same way that you go to a concert and you feel energy being in a theater you can feel the energy and you can learn to manipulate that energy or act in response to that energy or try to like, manipulate but even guide that energy and that is i get why people go as audience members and i also get why people just love to do theater on its own film you move people the same way but it's not as immediate so like I could shoot a project and seven years later, someone will write me a heartfelt letter because they just saw it that week, but I shot it seven years ago. So it's also just as satisfying, but it's a little different because I'm now removed, right? And then video games are their own thing altogether because <laughs> I feel like people feel that they're even more immersed into it. So they're living their life and some people really love you. Some people really hate you depending on the character, but um, I love them all just very differently. You should be going to Comic-Con in Ottawa as the character. I want to go to Comic-Con in San Diego. <laughs> That's a good idea, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, with the video games thing, quickly then, like, how, how did you, do people get into that the same as they would get into film as well? They do. It's totally different, though. Like, there's a fan, her name's Lisa, and we're pretty good friends on Twitter, like decent enough, we talk. But she does virtual photography, so she'll play the game that I'm in, and she'll take a picture of me as my character. And then there's another fan that recently used the algorithm of changing the characters, and he built a character, because the main character I've acted, and they took my facial information, but the character doesn't all the way look like me. And so I don't know what he did, but like flipped it and reversed it or whatever until it did look like me and okay. sent that to me. So there was like, <laughs> there's fan art. I also had like a total crazy person going, I can't believe you killed so-and-so and, you know, just was so into it that I didn't even know how to begin to say it's a video game. I didn't actually do it, <laughs> but I also love video games. Like I'm a really big Uncharted fan and... I get it. Like hearing, especially if you played it a lot, hearing that voice and, you know, knowing how you feel about a person just from the sound of their voice and you're immersed into an experience. And that only gets better. Like I'm still working on video games and the, the technology just keeps deepening and the opportunities there. And I love it. And so I think it's a different, it's not like film. Film is kind of like that. Like film, you can also, because the way that the lens can get into your face and read your eyes. I think people start to believe that they can read what you're thinking and or if you make choices that they really wish they made, they they start to take on. And I do that too. When I watch a good movie, I'm like, oh, I really feel what took place there. And that's my favorite movie ever. So you just totally associate to the medium in a different way because you think you're having a more intimate relationship 
than you would. Theater's just enough. It's the COVID distance. It's like more than six feet. (laughs) So (laughs) I think that much space makes it more of a voyeuristic experience, even though you could still be moved by it. It's not the same as staring into somebody's eyes and watching them sparkle with love or get filled with hate. It's just a little more intimate. And so those are the differences. I don't think there are any cons. I like every, I like it all so much that, you know, the only con sometimes, no, I was going to say the only con sometimes is that I wish I could see a theater performance, but I also don't want to see. I like the idea that it's not supposed to exist. Like it's supposed to be this moment that you share with somebody and then it's gone. Mm hmm. It's hard to swallow, but you're right. It's probably the best situation. Yeah. And so that, but along those lines, like what about monetizing, you know, the people that it almost brings tears to my eyes, not in a happy way, but in a negative way, thinking about how many talented people there are, whether it's in filmmaking, you know, acting or, or painting or whatever else. And they don't do it because they just don't see it as realistic. Mm-hmm. Not to sound cliche, but that dream big mentality, I think is important. But in terms of being able to actually make a living out of it, do you think that that is is realistic? No, it's very hard. It's very hard. And there's there's people who have been in the theater for years and either they're comfortable enough to do that because they've done like a TV show that makes them royalties or they've learned to live modestly. But you watch them get on stage and just they're magic. Like and to be with these people too because they've learned they've learned there's a social skill that theater provides that I think acting in general provides too, that some people are incredibly charming and the theater is filled with a lot of like charming, magical creatures and they're robbed. Like they don't make, they don't make any money. They make very little money. And it's literally, you know, there was a time where it's like, oh, you're a starving artist. How romantic. And I feel like a lot of theater people still live in that love. And I think that's also why the idea of things analog and like how I said, living in the moment and never seeing it again, that kind of thing is overly romanticized because if you ever really stopped and looked at what that paycheck is, it's heartbreaking. Like it's not fair at all. It's not until you get to maybe Broadway that like it starts to look a little bit better, but that's too many steps. Like you should be able to offer more than enough at any theater. Yeah. And versus the film industry, like, is it equally hard to make it? But once you do, the pay is better. The film industry is interesting because it's, this is going to sound disrespectful too, but it's not at all. The theater, you have to know how to act. You have to know how to, I even put act in quotations because I'm not, I don't want to assume too much, but you have to know how to make your voice travel in the space so that people hear it. You have to know how to block yourself so that you're not turning your back towards anybody. And that's if you want to have a continuous If you're working in the theater, you know the technical aspects in order to make it work. Film is a visual medium that can be driven entirely by a great director, a fantastic director of photography, and a really good editor. And that's why you see models in films. Like if the lead character is the action guy and he's got to be with a really hot chick, she doesn't have to be Meryl Streep. She doesn't have to speak English, (laughs) you know? You can just, and I mean, that's the sexist view, but that's usually what we see. That's why I put it that way. But film is like being a photographer sometimes if you do it right. Like you can hire anybody 
And that's also why some people hire people off of the street because actors will overthink the text and like maybe try to perform something out of it. Whereas if you get somebody's mom, she's like, what are you doing? And then you just shoot around her. And the experience of watching this human being is also just as much fun. So I think that's one of the differences with film. I think that's what makes film harder. It's harder to convince people who've never seen. What I do love about New York is that a lot of film people do pay attention to the theater. And so it's not some grand idea to hire a really strong actor to be on a TV show. And then the TV show is even more brilliant. But I find everywhere else, people are like, why would I get an actor when I would get a better performance out of somebody who's never acted before? Yeah, that's fascinating. So it's so absurd. But it's said it said a lot. I think a lot of at least when I was in film school, a lot of young directors were like, I don't want an actor. I want somebody who's, you know, real. And then it's just like ridiculous. But that's the competition, right? Like now what that's what I was getting at, that the competition is much larger because anybody can be in a film project and people think that they can shoot or cut around anybody. They'll fix it in post. Yeah, I was (laughs) thinking that. I didn't want to go back to that personally, but thank you for doing it because I I was thinking that. That's too funny. And I don't even think that was on air. That was off air probably. So that's good. No one will know what the heck we're talking about. We'll fix it in in post. That's pretty much a mic drop moment. I mean, I've got a million more things I could ask, but just quickly on the idea of acting um, before I go away from it, because what I do with every episode is I'll make like a blog post that is three things that Kara said about blank or five things. And I, I think in this case, like those things you just shared about acting will will naturally be a really good kind of like thing to to uh, summarize. So before I move on to the kind of like wrap up that I, I always do, if that question is, you know, some tips on how to succeed in acting, is there anything else that you would put kind of in terms of bullet points? How to succeed in acting, number one would be practice. And how you choose to practice is up to you. If you want to like try lying to somebody, seeing how far you get, that's (laughs) (laughs) dealer's choice. Number two is not networking, but networking, finding people that enjoy performance of any kind. Like if you want to make movies, find people who want, who like to make movies. If you like to do theater, find people who want to make theater and start to see if you can create with them. And then my last point would probably be, I feel half-hearted about it, but maybe a little bit of training. If you do find that group, it doesn't have to be some fancy school. Fancy schools help, but it doesn't have to be a fancy school. If you're working with somebody, let's say you did the networking thing and you found a group that's doing movies, you get to look back on the project and there's an actor who's done a great job. They did what you were hoping to do, but it doesn't look the same. Ask them to like give you a few tips see if you can be mentored with them and just keep growing from the community that you create. What's a tip that you would give me if I was an actor? Well, what kind of actor are you? Like, I'd have to know, did you go to theater school? Do you want (laughs) to... No, nothing. Off the street, like you said, if somebody just pulled me off the street because they wanted a somebody who was not an actor, but I was like, oh no, what should I do? One of the like, one of the like Hallmark films that they shoot around here. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely a Canadian response to Hallmark runs Canada. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I would say read scripts, find scripts online and just look at what they even look like because they're not written like regular anything. You've got interior, exterior, blah, blah, blah. Let's see what a script looks like and go from there. Yeah. There's some other books that you could read too, but reading is another big thing for actors. Reading 
acting books, reading scripts, and learning how they work and what's trying to be conveyed there. Really interesting. Do you have a favorite acting book? I do. It's actually a book of verbs. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. The reason why, and I don't, I haven't used it. I use it a lot as a younger actor, but as an older actor, I use it a lot when I'm working with younger actors. And so what used to happen to me was if I had to do a scene, I would do it. And if I had to do the scene three or four times, the first time I would nail it maybe. Second time it would be way off. Fourth time I'd be like completely lost. And then if I were to do it the next day, first time might've really been terrible, but second, third time would have been amazing. And a teacher had finally said like, and I think a lot of actors, new actors or actors without a technique, you feel something. If there's a script that's like close to you, I know this, I know this part, I can play it. But especially when it comes to theater and you have to play it for 80 nights and like you just got off the phone with your girlfriend and now you feel like crap. And so it's hard to fall back into that position. If you have markers along the way and if you break down the scene as a separate thing so that it's not completely driven by your instinct, but actually add a scaffolding to the scene, anything can happen half an hour before the show. You know that you've got to hit these things. You have an objective. This is what you're trying to get in the argument. And so this verb book, it's called Actions, but this verb book helps young actors kind of mark the path out to their scene. You know, like if if you and I are talking and you ultimately want me to discuss what acting is, but I want to talk about the car parked across the street randomly, my objective would be to change the subject to the car across the street. But all of the lines in between of this podcast, I would have to figure out with the verbs, do I scold you here? Do I teach you here? Do I get angry? You never really use a direct emotion. It's always, the verbs are always doing something. With those verbs, you'd kind of drive it towards your objective. That would be my thing. I would tell you to read scripts and look up verbs. (laughs) It's very boring. (laughs) No, it it sounds amazing. And uh, I mean... I love creating. It doesn't matter if you and I get some paintbrushes and paint and we start making something or this podcast. It doesn't matter. It's just fun creating with other people. And, and I think even as someone who likes to just sit on my couch and write poetry, you're very by yourself, isolated. The idea of filmmaking, I think why it is really interesting to me, even though there's a big negative side to it, maybe. But there is, there tends to be a, a team or at least a group, maybe not a team, because if you don't have trust, you know, but let, let's just say at least a group. And I just think that that is cool creating with a group. So that that's why it is, is really interesting. And obviously, you have a wealth of expertise in the area. So it was neat to be able to, to ask you about it. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting, because there's so many awesome things you've brought up. I did promise to come back to NFTs, and we didn't really. So like, we can run it back in the future. But if you wanted to share something about NFTs, like you don't don't feel you have to I just had promised that we would come back to it I'm gonna be a troublemaker and actually talk about the team thing that you just had mentioned because I don't think people realize how big a team is on set especially when you're like shooting an intimate scene but you've got director first AD second AD cameraman grip director of photography like those teams in a like in a production that can afford it they're actually huge so you're hanging out with a lot of wonderful people I will say really quickly about the NFT thing because I have brought it up a few times, even though like, I don't know if we made it the theme of the conversation, (laughs) but I just started working with the Broadway Exchange. 
their plan is to create digital moments, mementos that will ultimately provide a royalty to companies. And so I really hope I'm touched by it, man. Like royalties to like the performers, I've never heard of that before. To the directors, yes. To the sound designers, to any designers, yes. But to people who build a show from the beginning and follow it for a very long time before they hand it off, that's usually the end of their receiving any sort of contribution for the work that they've put in. And so I think that's my whole thing with NFTs, that it's finally providing these starving artists that we love to call starving artists a chance to not be a starving artist, but to be a successful, the same successful artist that they've always been, but for that to be reflected in monetary compensation. And so I'm really hoping that these projects work out and the Broadway Exchange being one of them. And I'm super excited about it. That's awesome. I look forward to uh, finding ways to support it as well and, and checking it out. And I know we're both fame ladies and I'm excited to see where, where that brand goes as well. And you are still working with them, right? Are you kidding? I'm fame lady all, I'm a fame lady person 24 seven. You know, the other interesting <laughs> thing is you, you're fine. Like you're not, you never bring this up, but Gary V talks about it. Um, sometimes there can be a little bit of FUD in your own community because people are like, what are you doing? Why aren't, why isn't anything happening? And I was thinking about this because I literally work on fame ladies 24 seven. Like it's, a problem that I need to address. <laughs> I was just realizing that all of these NFT projects are startups. And so when you collab with another startup, you have to deal with the collabing with another startup. Like sometimes there will be delays. Sometimes that project will not come off the ground. And with Fame Ladies, we try not to announce everything that we're working on because I think Board Becky's really great about this, the, the leader of the project, is that there's no point in over-promising and not delivering. So we tend to wait until things are super secure. But without saying too much, we're working on a lot of things, a lot of exciting things, and I really hope that they come to fruition. But I'm pretty much, I've got to finish a newsletter after we type for the Fame Lady Twitter tomorrow morning. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's going to be a late night. I got some work to do too. So it won't keep you too much longer, <laughs> yeah. but it's just, I think these are important topics that I really did want to, as I promised, to touch on quickly. I feel that too. For me, I uh, was there the first night that that whole thing happened with the, you know, the whole rug thing. I, I think I shared this with you. I don't know if I shared it with you specifically, but I have all the screenshots from Board Becky and I talking that very first night. Mm. Honestly, those will be like, those will be a memento someday because awesome. yeah, if, if I haven't shared them with you, I'll share them. Yeah, now. please. You know, I said something to the effect of if handled the right way, this is probably one of the only opportunities that a community like this will have to make a story better than it would have been had that rug not happened in the first place. And that was like within like half an hour of everybody finding out in the discord and the craziness. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, it, it was just really interesting to watch. And it's it's just been, it's been fun to be part of that community. And I'm also excited to see all the, the directions it heads. And I don't think there's a better brand position to like just look cool 
full on even stuff like bags or, you know, like I'm super excited to to make a shirt. And obviously I made the painting that I shared with you earlier. And like, I just think it's not just because I'm <laughs> an owner and holder, but because like the community first and the, the vibe and brand second are all things, especially with people like yourself and that whole team, intelligent, creative people working on it. It's going to go good places. Mm-hmm. But to your point, I've been part of helping other projects quite a bit too. And they always lack that long-term, they always over-promised. And so that's actually reassuring for me to hear that on the inside of the project, that's how people feel, that just doing things the right way with consistency over time, and then it will be successful like any goal. Yeah. One of the great projects that finally came through was the Althea AI. Have you heard of this one? No. So Althea AI is an artificial intelligence platform and their overall goal. We actually collabed with them pretty early on. Like they were building this whole time and then they finally came out with, they call it the fusion. And so if you had a personality pod, you could fuse it with your fame lady and she talks. So I bought a, I bought a level three pod and I was actually talking to lady C today. She's got, she's got attitude. She's got a lot of attitude. It's amazing. I like, I think I'm going to post some videos of, I thought I had recorded them, but I didn't. I was trying to, I was talking to her today about Shakespeare (laughs) and I asked her what Romeo and Juliet was. And she's like, they were, they were a couple that was having an affair and then they died. And I'm like, they weren't having an affair. They loved each other. And she's like, yeah, but they died because they were cheating on their partners. And I'm like, no, that's not. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you just didn't know that part of the story. (laughs) That's what she would say. And so those kind of collabs, again, to go back to at the moment where my mind is, I think the story changes for me for Fame Lady Squad all the time. And these days I'm really thinking about it as like a true collector's item in the NFT space. Like owning one just shows that you've been rugged before. We're about to hit our birthday, our first one year mark, which I'm so proud of. And I'm hoping that like, as time goes on, there's going to be a lot more unique holders. And that to own one is a bad way to put it is like being a Freemason member, like just it would mark your place in NFT because it's it's part of NFT history. Even the takeover has never happened in the space again. And you have to send me, you did tell me about those screenshots. I think you should mint them, but you should also send me a copy (laughs) because we're collecting. (laughs) A free copy, yeah. The right click save copy. Yeah. Yeah. You can't make this stuff up. I'm not going to sidetrack us from this conversation to go search through my phone, <laughs> but I'll, I'll find them. I'll send them to you tonight for sure. And then Please you can do. make them, Please but it's do. a 50-50 split. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll keep the secondary. <laughs> yeah, sure. Actually, yeah, this is cool because like 12 months from now, let's run this back because now you got me thinking about creating collaboratively and uh, I've really been trying to figure out the best way to do it. I've spoken with some really kind, generous devs and they've given me their time to listen about what they think. And uh, Emma Jane is someone who's amazing in the space to talk to on the tech side, you know, uh, Maxwell, aka Crypto Jesus. There's so many nice people. What I'm trying to work towards is being able to do more uh, collaborative things instead of like a big 10k project for me i'll do like a one of eight. Oh, cool that's kind of where i'm headed and like i honestly feel that on a night where we're, we're well rested again that uh talking primarily about that world and especially in, in a little longer from now will be well worth it i love that last thing to circle back to though and it's funny because i so often don't do this but like it's just these things that you had brought up that <laughs> 
that I was like, oh, that's, that's a really interesting thing that I hadn't expected was you were telling me that you were working with a guitarist and you were making music. And then did you end up making music? We did, but we also ended up building this thing called Indie Village, which is another NFT project I'm associated with. And it's a village in Decentraland. I believe the coordinates are 130. It might be, it's not a minus 100. I think it's 130. And so we've got like Deepak Chopra's project in there. We've got Board Becky's Dive Bar. We're supposed to have an FLS space in there. I've got to double check that. But like, it's literally a village of metaverse spaces. And it's also tied to Indie Village. So going back to our relationship where I was trying to save the theaters digitally, he was trying to save independent music venues at the same time. His work, like he was able to get, I think the group is kind of called Indie Village. So there's a concert that Our Lady Peace will be having on stage in there. We're just getting the space out. So that's what happened. We did end up rehearsing. We might technically be one of the first people to have a performance in Decentraland. Although nobody came because we were just trying stuff out. <laughs> but yeah, that's where that went. That's what happened with that. Okay, cool. So there's not like an album that I can download tonight or nothing like no, that. No, there's an Instagram post where it's like, I'm singing badly and he's playing the guitar and it was rehearsal. <laughs> Amazing. No, that's cool though. I mean, this kind of brings it full circle, mic drop that you talked about being multi-passionate, the jack of all trades, master of none, often better than a master <laughs> of one. I think that's what it is. I'll look it up. Like I said, I always ask three rapid fire questions right at the end, and then I'll tie them together through all the episodes. Okay. And the first one is one piece of advice you would leave for the next generation. Explore everything. One thing that you yourself are learning right now. There were never right answers. There are or there were never. There never were. That's cool. There never were. It's supposed to be rapid fire, but I'm like, <laughs> can you tell me more about that? <laughs> it's the late night. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it in your face. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, that is cool though. There were never right answers. That's what you said, right? Yeah, there never were. There, there are answers that work for a particular time. There are answers that you can believe in and they will get you where you need to go. But there never, COVID did that to me. COVID, I really believed if I wanted to do anything, I had to go to school. I had to get the degree. I had to have somebody tell me how to do it. Then COVID happened and nobody had the answers. Nobody had the answers. There was no place that I could turn to. And so, you know, I just tried stuff out. Some stuff really worked. Some stuff didn't. And the things that I believed in also fell through. So, yeah, <laughs> there are no right answers. It's the first time you said it in this episode, but you said just tried. And that's my handle on socials. And almost yes! every episode, somebody says it. <laughs> Thank you for that. And I'm sure it's by accident. <laughs> that's your objective. That's your actual objective. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, one question that if I were to flip the mic and, and allow you to understand a little bit more about what I'm up to or just something you're curious about, if you were to ask me a question. What? Have you learned interviewing so many people? <laughs> the reason I'm frozen a little <laughs> bit is that what you just said about there not being ever any right answers, I, I think really is interesting with that question because to me, we are all the same is like something that comes to mind. Mm. Yet 
not one of us are the same. Mm -hmm. And again, it may just be that this is a late night conversation <laughs> when we're getting super meta. But the third thing I'll add is that I was thinking about this the other day, existentially having kind of like a moment of like wanting to really prioritize this podcast mm -hmm. because I realized much like somebody who loves reading books is like, oh shit, I'm not going to get to all the books I want in my lifetime. Or people who are like project oriented or idea oriented, you make this list of like things you want to do or things you want to create. You come to this realization that right. I won't have enough time to do that in the time that I'm living. <sighs> and I feel like that can be very um, depressing, <laughs> but it could be very freeing and empowering to realize that even if I interview a thousand people, I'm never going to interview the same person. Like they're so unique, but there's a big through line wow. that connects all of us for sure. I feel like I have this community of people who have never met each other, but we're all very similar in terms of what did, what did you say earlier? Into integrating and I love that. Just being able to create together. There's like a commonality that way. I love that. Especially when I think of like a really bad way of saying it is like girls with Botox. Like I just start to think because of the cliqueiness of the trends that everybody follows, it can be really easy to forget that everybody, everybody's different. We just kind of do things so that we fit in together or we have similar interests, but yeah. everybody is different. Everybody's got their own. I like that answer. Touch me. For sure. And and the, the last thing I'll add too is in the same way, somebody who's like super famous and has a whole bunch of followers can be really humble and collaborative and kind and you, you wouldn't really necessarily know. And then other people who have that same level of like followership can be more like a jerk about it or the opposite is true. Maybe they don't even have a following. They don't even have an audience. They haven't succeeded at all yet. They're still, you know, braggadocious and like kind of cocky about about it mm -hmm. and then so you start to realize too that like even if someone's like super successful that they can still be very much generous you know mm -hmm. which for me at least an extension working with other people to try and help boost their confidence gives me a lot more that people can succeed like young hip-hop artists that i meet for example you know talking with fresco trey in the hotel at vcon actually was one of those kinds of moments right like this kid's here like pretty much ready to blow up and like doing his first stadium show and all that and yet like all he wanted to do was sit in and chat in the hotel because he's just like just genuinely in the moment just a good kid you know yeah i was like i know some kids back home that are trying to succeed in this craft and part of their teachers part of their parents part of their support group probably thinks it's, they can't you know, they can't do it. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, well, no, here I am talking to this person who's like, it's just like, we're all normal people. I love that about the internet. It's made that connection a lot more uh, available. You know, yeah. there was a point where you could comment on Brianna's post and she'd curse you out like anybody else. <laughs> yeah, I'd be all right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I like that. Yeah. We all are human. We're just having our own interesting journeys. Yeah, just different journeys. So many things in life that connect us for sure. And the last thing, super simple, or it could be complex, but where and why could people find you online? The metaverse. <laughs> we said complex, right? <laughs> no, I'm... Wander around until you find me. <laughs> I've been on Twitter a lot, as you know, at Cara underscore Ricketts. My Instagram is Cara dot Ricketts. And my email, which I, is always overloaded, but if I find you, I will respond, is Cara at CaraRicketts.com. If somebody watches something that you've been in, what should they go watch? 
Oh God, like a show? What's the favorite thing you've ever been in, yeah? I've enjoyed almost everything I've been in. One of the bigger things that people know me for is Anne with an E, which is on Netflix. It's the retelling of Anne of Green Gables by one of the showrunners from Breaking Bad, actually. If you're a video game player, any of the Far Cry series after Far Cry Primal, I'm one of the villains in Far Cry New Dawn. Got a few games coming out soon that I'm excited to talk about, but video games is where you can find me. What other projects? If you watch medical dramas, I was on The Resident for uh, I think about like seven or eight episodes. And yeah, after that, I guess you could look on IMDb or something. <laughs> Just go right through the whole filmography, dig deep. Yeah, find something you like in there. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. It means a lot. You're definitely one of those people that I was saying who uh, continue to be humble and kind and generous and be willing to create on a show like this with me. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. I had a great time. It's fun. Good conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And scene. Awesome. <laughs> Good talks. <laughs> JKL community, our show is picking up some serious steam as more and more people are tuning in each day. So I really, really want to say thank you. Remember, if you have anyone in mind that would be a great guest, just reach out and let us know. Thank you to our guest, Kara. Such a beautiful soul with some serious badass boss energy too when it comes to creating and pursuing the career of her dreams. As always, we love receiving your DMs or texts about the show, good, bad, or anywhere in between. All feedback is fire, so let them fly. Send some messages when you have the time. Until the next episode, all the best, and remember, just keep learning. You're one step closer to making your big dreams come true, but there's plenty more where that came from. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and if you know anyone who might love the show, send them a link. We'll see you next time on Just Keep Learning with Justin at Just Tries.